And we're back. We took a week off, but we're back today with Renters Radio. Um, it feels good to be in the captain's chair again here at New Alliance. My name's Lauren Pespiza. I'm your host. I'm here with my usual co-host. Evan George. Hello, hello. And uh, we've had a we've had a big couple of weeks. We both basically recovered from deathly illnesses. I'm still sick, so He's still Herb's going to have to edit out my coughing this entire time. So yeah. I had some pretty epic parties that uh, I have no regrets about. Um, I am now 32, uh, so that's fine. Welcome to the club. <laughs> yeah, I know. It feels, uh, well, I got to say, it kind of feels awful. I'm not sure if I'm sick or if I'm just 32. Um, this is just what 32 feels like. Yeah, so. right? Like, welcome yes, welcome to aging. All right, let me share this. Um and we're back with Herb, too. How are you feeling, Herb? Marvelous. All right. I'm glad to hear somebody <laughs> is. We've had a, we've got actually a pretty good show lined up today. Um, we're going to, you know, we've, I know everybody's real excited about Bernie right now and the national elections. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Um, we're definitely still uh, feeling the burn over here. I'm rocking my uh Oh, nice. Bernie I didn't shirt. That. Yeah. Awesome. Dave Tree original. Um but we are also uh, wanting to keep the focus local here. Um, so one of the things that we spoke about a couple weeks ago was uh, East Boston Suffolk Downs development, which was which is basically the one of the largest development projects ever to hit Boston. And uh, we have a lot of issues with it. It's going to be super unaffordable, lead to a lot of displacement. So we kind of have an East Boston update from uh, Gabriela Cartagena. I don't know if I said it right. From Pueblo, uh, a local organizing grassroots organization against the Suffolk Downs development. Um, I'm actually posting the. They're actually. Um, oh, and we dropped the call. Lovely. So close. I know. Um, well, it's that kind of day, folks. But we. I want to support uh, these groups like City Life, Vita Urbana, and uh, Green Roots, and as well as Pueblo East Boston. Um, in fighting for affordable housing in the Suffolk Downs development. She's calling back. From. Yeah, right. Hello, hello. Hello. All right. Sorry about that. We had a rough intro there, but we're back. Um, so we want to give an East Boston update on Suffolk Downs and what's going on with this development. I know that you guys have been putting forward a petition to speak with Marty Walsh. Gabriella, can you hear us? Yeah, um, it's cutting a little in and out. So I heard for an update of what's happening in East Boston, correct? Yeah, yes. talk a little bit about what uh, Pueblo East Boston is doing and um, what is going on with trying to get Marty Walsh yeah. to listen. Yeah, awesome. So <clears throat> for those who don't know, my name is Gabriella. Gabriella, can you hear us? Yeah, can you, um, um, can you hear me? And Turn your volume down on your computer. Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah, so... Hey, also, Gabriella here. Do you hear me? Yeah, so we can hear you. You are responding to almost like a feedback loop. It, it might be best if you don't watch on Facebook Live and... Or just mute it. Does that make sense? Okay. Mm -hmm. All right, great. Take it away. Who are you? What's your connection to the struggle against the Suffolk Downs development? Awesome. Yeah, so... For those who don't know, what's up? Thank you for inviting us. Um, 
inviting me. My name is Gabriela. For those who don't know and who are listening, um, I was born and raised here in East Boston. Um, East Boston is a neighborhood that has been, you know, historically immigrant, whether it was like Italian, Irish, um, Jewish folks, Jewish families, and that's recently like Mexican, Central American, Colombian, right? Um, and parts of the Middle East which has been amazing. And also as of recently, you've seen kind of like almost a trend with the rest of Boston, right? There's been massive displacements of people who have been priced out of their homes, right? A lot of residents in East Boston, or at least more residents back in the day, right? We reflected of a more, of an inc- of a lower working class income. And Right now, East Boston is facing this, like, huge redevelopment throughout our whole coast, um, throughout the neighborhood. And like you mentioned, one of the biggest developments in the city of Boston is going to be built in East Boston, right? It's going to change the whole housing, transportation, environmental um, game for the region, right? These are going to be... 10,000 luxury units um that oh so close gabrielle was leading us there uh. but to fill in for 10,000 units for east boston and suffolk downs i 13 percent affordable and because it's um it's the development needs to hit a certain threshold which is generally around 13 gabrielle are you back yeah all right take it away keep going yeah, um, as I was saying, right, 10,000 units, uh, 10,000 luxury units. A lot of these luxury units happen to be, you know, single-unit homes, single-unit apartments, right? Meaning that it's not really meant for the prosperity of, you know, current families that live in East Boston and or the rest of Boston. Um, and one of the biggest worries right now is that 10,000 luxury units is gonna, again, completely change the game for housing, affordability, the ability to, you know, stay and rent in, in East Boston in that region, the ability to be able to buy a home in the near future, right? Because it's not just renters being affected, it's also potential future homeowners and older homeowners who currently are facing some sort of worries about displacement because of insecurities of, you know, their generational wealth. Um, and right now, right, this whole this development is, like, landscape-wise, right, Suffolk Downs is right next to the only natural salt marsh in the city of Boston. And, you know, that just happens to be in East Boston as well. Um, and this development has a lot of potential impacts of completely destroying this natural ecosystem that, you know, brings upon some sort of like balance for for East Boston's potential flood like plains, right? I'm not sure if, if those know like what a marsh is. Like a marsh kind of like acts as a sponge for flooding. Um and it's been doing an amazing job of protecting certain homes near Suffolk Downs. Um but those homes are now have been seeing a lot of flooding as well. So with ten thousand units about to come, we see issues not only around affordability and the ability to stay for a long time 
but we see an influx of potentially 10,000 more people, 10,000 more cars, and 30 years of potential, literally literal construction of this site, which is going to affect like the different environmental like sectors around it, like the Belle Marsh, which is such a, a vital artery for, you know, balancing the very limited natural resources in the city of Austin and this region, right? Um, the coast is in danger. And right now, um, I know that there are efforts, there are efforts right now to really force these developers to abide to the conditions of the community, right? Historically, we've seen these processes around. Oh, I, I almost wanted to interrupt her briefly just to be like, in case we lose you, can you talk about the, the petition? I mean, it sounds like it's a real environmental disaster uh, as well as a economic disaster over there. Well, it reminds me of what we talked about before with <laughs> um, the Seaport District, which is they took oh, zero no. count into any of like the rising floods or just because it's so susceptible because of where it is. And, mm -hmm. ju and just like not having any thought about the conditions and the environmental impact of where it is. And just so we want to make sure that you speak to this so we don't lose you. We know we're having tech uh, difficulties. Can you talk about yeah. the petition that you have and what it is that you want Marty yeah. Walsh to sign? Yeah. So recently there's <coughs> been a coalition getting together and really organizing for this responsible construction of Suffolk Downs, right? As as we may or may not know, right, those these investors are in it to make as much profit as possible. Even though they're and, already billionaires. Right, yes, and they're already billionaires <laughs> um, and come from billionaire like oil money. Um, William Bruce Harrison is one of the largest investors. He owns 98% of this billion dollar investment. Um, but, right, so there's a little, there's a coalition growing in East Boston called Pueblo, People United in East Boston to liberate and organize, which, you know, amazingly translates into Spanish perfectly as well. Nice. And as of right now, we have really big, we have big demands for this development, right? For this development to be built responsibly and, you know, do enough, meet enough reparations for East Boston, right? Because it's going to really affect the game. Um, the coalition is demanding these developers and the BPDA, the Boston Planning Development Agency, to make sure that there's at least a floor of 20% of affordable units in this 10,000 luxury unit development. So we are merely asking for a floor of 20%, right? Ideally, what we really want, what we really need is 50% of affordable <clears throat> units. Um, but... Ooh, close. Well, luckily, I think we have the phone call, so she can keep calling back yeah, in and we don't actually keep... hear the ring. So, all right, 20% of 10,000 is 2,000. Okay, that's still not enough. It's still not enough, and something that I want um, Gabrielle to speak to... Oh, there's the ring coming back on. Gabrielle, are you back? Yeah, I'm back. So, awesome. Yeah, as I was saying, right, we're demanding a floor of 20% of affordable units reflected at a 30% medium area medium income, right? And what the hell does that mean, right? Because 
sometimes within these, you know, development fights, we come across terms that are just really confusing. But the area meeting income are all the incomes of in the region, right? And we're just looking for that middle number, that's median. It's not an average, it's like that middle number. And our region includes some of the highest incomes in this region. Like some of these, these incomes are outside of Boston. So this area meeting income and affordability at this moment is not accurately and truly reflecting the people who need affordable units. So one of our biggest demands is to make sure these 20% um, affordable units reflect the 30% area meeting income and the need for East Boston residents. Um, and, and just to clear up the math for some people, 30% uh, is roughly, you make an income like of, of around- $35,000 okay. income a year. Okay. And I think right now affordability that Suffolk Jobs is proposing is like around seventy to hundred thousand dollar income a year, and you know sadly that's not a reality for a lot of working class um, and lower working class East Boston residents, right? So off the bat we know that the market for this housing is not is not for East Boston; it's for whomever lives outside and has has money to drop. Um, and our second demand is for a community community benefits agreement, a stabilization fund with right now, Tom O'Brien, the project is proposing a $5 million like stabilization fund. They're calling it the windfall trust. And $5 million is barely like half of a, half a percent of their total, you know, spending, which, is honestly like a big slap in the face um, saying that, you know, half a percent is enough, you know, to, I guess, buy you Boston off. And, and um, what is and it's like a one-time payment? What does so a windfall fund go to? Ooh. Ooh. I had a question. Call back. <laughs> um, I think what she, what um, Deborah was referring to, and this is something I've been learning the most about is almost like you have to put into a trust which can then almost be used to supplement the rent, like longer term. So what, what they say is you have to put some money into an account, which can help actually subsidize okay. the cost of rent. So if it says, if the rent says 1200, the family might only have to pay 800 and then like another four comes from this fund. But uh, Gabriella, can you talk more about that second point? Like, yes. So the stabilization fund, right? Right now, Tom O'Brien is offering 5 million for this so-called windfall trust and they're, um, project uh, development area, like their PDA, it's like the contract that's going to get approved, right? And right now they're offering five million. We wa are demanding a percentage of the total profit of this development on a yearly basis for this potential community stabilization fund. And what this fund would look like is still obviously like up in the air, but ideally, like this fund, we need we need reparations for displacement now, you know? And we need to build more off-site <clears throat> affordable units and, and, and buy, you know, tenancy to start owning, right? Um, and the stabilization fund, it's not, it's not just a dream. There are, real, there are real examples of stabilization funds working and the closest example exists in the Bronx. <coughs> um, there okay. was a 
a similar like development proposed in an empty giant empty lot ended up being a professional ice skating rink and they made sure to give money back on a percent on a percentage and annual basis back to the community which was led by a board nominated by the community and like with one rep from the city and state so I have really big hopes of you know making sure setting a precedent for the rest of Boston um, when it comes to giant luxury developments um, because right this East Boston's not the first and last like Mattapan is it's being people are being displaced and it's being developed at almost a similar rate to East Boston and you know the the city really needs to us residents throughout the city really need to get together and and you know make sure that we at least get these demands reflected in the final in the contract it's going to be voted on on I believe March let me check that date before I I think it's early March oh but on March (laughs) so close so I think it wasn't it almost originally going to be it was going to be February 13 but they which is good is they got an extension Yes, they got an extension. Um, I don't think that the petition has got an emergency meeting with Marty Walsh yet, though we will ask Gabriella when she calls back. Um, I, I doubt highly. It seems... Yeah, he's really good at not listening to people. Hey, but, hey, hey. awesome. Um, so I had another question about, I guess there's a, I hear there's a lawsuit going on against the BPDA. Um, do you know yeah, anything about so that? the BPDA... The Boston Plan and Development Agency is in charge of making the final decision for Suffolk Downs' proposed contract for the Suffolk Downs Redevelopment Project, the HYM Suffolk Downs Project, right? And that final vote was originally in February, February 13th, but thanks to, you know, the efforts of, of Pueblo and the many organizations and community members, um, who've been putting work, right? There's been, I don't know, some sort of, there's been a pushback. Like, there was a, a march earlier in February 8th, and there yeah. was a lot, of, a lot of media attention. And, you know, as Pueblo and as community members and organizations in solidarity, right, we <coughs> aren't going to stop until we see not only these demands reflected in the final contract, which is the PDA, but also throughout the process of creating, of HYM creating and redevelopment, redeveloping Suffolk Downs, right? Because this redevelopment is going to take like 30 years. It's a phase-by-phase project. And this PDA, this final vote, and now March 13th, right, this vote has been pushed back a month. The PDA is hearing Pueblo and, you know, East Boston and, Right. This is. I think this is a make or break for the city of Boston. It, it's. It would be able to really just take advantage of, you know, of maximizing its profits, um, at the expense of not only damaging an ecosystem, but you know, separating families through displacement and separating like potential futures through displacement. Um, Right. This is this is really a make or break for the in a precedent for the rest of Boston because if they if they're able to 
you know, get through this, HYM, and build on their terms, other developers are going to see that as a model. And um, that would be, like, an awful day. <laughs> I, yeah. Um, I, any questions for Mel? I, I do want to say I agree with you. I think it would set up, if we could win, it would set a precedent that we can win when we fight. So I just, I want to encourage my listeners to sign this petition. Is there anything else people can do to support the fight for affordable housing in Suffolk Downs? Uh, yeah. Um, as of right now, Pueblo, Pueblo's communications team has been able to launch um, different social media handles on Facebook at Pueblo EC, um, on Twitter at Pueblo underscore EC, on Instagram pueblo.ec um and i feel like through following these handles updates will will come through like there are big things um that will happen before this vote right <coughs> and as of right now we're pushing a petition right like i i shared earlier a petition to demand an emergency meeting for with mayor walsh Okay, and I did share the link to that petition in the uh, header of this video. So uh, if anyone hasn't already, I encourage you to go ahead and sign this petition to try to get as much media and as much attention on it as possible. Maybe Marty will listen. I tried hopping on to their Twitter, so I can make sure that we're Call following from. them on that. Yeah, we are. We've been retweeting them. They also, hey, hey also uh, these accounts are, I'm seeing them post both in English and Spanish. Um so uh, it's, which, you know, a lot of that community is Spanish speaking, I believe in Arabic speaking. So it's really important to have a grassroots movement yeah. that includes everybody uh, in this fight. So I appreciate what the whole community is doing against that. I really hope somebody listens because mm. I, I feel that as, or, you know, I live in Austin Brighton, right? But I think that having some kind of success on such a huge development will help us in other places also fight to save our communities. Um, so even if you don't live in East Boston, you know, try to make an example out of the situation and don't let it turn into the seaport. And we're going to get into like another housing sector uh, section, maybe a little bit later, but everyone recognizes like the housing crisis we're in Massachusetts has the highest amount in terms of family homelessness, like in terms of the rate of growth, of family homelessness over the past decade. So if they just allow another project to just completely ignore this and just go with the status quo of 13, 15% affordable housing based upon $80,000 a year, $100,000 a year, it's gonna just be another uh, travesty. I'm hoping that there's enough left pressure that Marty Walsh can feels that as mayor going into what's gonna be the mayoral election in 2021, and they can't just skate by on what's been the bare minimum. So we'll see. Uh, Gabrielle, are you still on the line? Did we lose you again? Yeah, um, and again, right, for these politicians to really, I guess, shine, they need to lift up a community thing. They need to respect and lift up our demands. Like that's the only way politicians can thrive, right, by echoing the community needs, community's needs, and not honoring us, right, rather than these billionaires developers um have you had any yeah, um success one of the legislators who has made a public opinion about this so we need an emergency meeting and he needs to hear demands um so he can echo them we need 
And, and that was the question. And because, like, as we were getting to, if I was, I, I would imagine the answer to have you had any success contacting his office would be absolutely not. Yeah, no. <laughs> because this is another we thing that, yeah, they, they, they take donations from developers, they take donations from the law firms that negotiate these contracts. Tom O'Brien used to be the head of like the redevelopment authority. <laughs> and, and at the end of the day, you just try to ignore it and then okay. you just um, lean on whatever statistics make you sound good. So they'll be able to say, oh, you know, we just had 1,000 affordable units in Suffolk down. That's a great, which is, again, that's a statistic they'll be able to say. What they affordable? say is affordable is yeah. not actually affordable. And it's still not nearly enough exactly, to meet the yeah. demand. Um, so that's why 30%. Area media income is so important. And mm -hmm. as of right now, there are rumors that legislators are saying that it's really 45. Um, I don't quite know what that income reflects, but I know it's definitely more than 35,000 a year. And that's not keeping in count the many people who've already been displaced. Like we need a, we need a right to return. Um, but that's just like a whole nother level of discussion. Yeah, that would be nice. But yeah, if people can just share the petition, sharing the petition is um, would be amazing help. We're trying to get to a thousand signatures, and if we don't hear back from Mayor Walsh, he's gonna see all of these petitions printed, and and there will there will be a show. Mm -hmm. Yep. And and maybe hopefully we can get um, Lydia Edwards's office to like also share the petition, just to again put a little bit more um, an official face on like the left pressure that hopefully Marty Walsh has been feeling and will feel for the next year or two as, again, the middle of a race kicks mm -hmm. off. But thank you so much. Thank you for fighting through all the tech difficulties. Yeah, thank you, y'all. <laughs> thank you, and, uh, yeah, keep us posted on um, – I think we lost her, but, yeah, just keep us posted on how the fight goes. I'm sure I'll be talking to them soon. Um, I want to take a quick break. You do? I'm so stressed from all the – I can let you borrow my stress ball. Look at this thing. Look at yeah, this thing. Uh, Mama, Ew, George got me... <laughs> <laughs> Mama George got me this so I wouldn't yell and curse so much while I was talking on the radio. Thanks, Mama George, for that. It's... D did you want to take a break? I or... do want to take a break. All right. But we'll be right back. All right. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Three minutes. Herb, you got any music? You going to sing while we go out? <clears throat> <laughs> And we're back. Are we back? That's the quickest break we've ever taken. I know. I didn't even get to get up. Look I'm, at that. I'm getting efficient at this. Um, we're back here with Renters Radio. It's me and Evan now. Um, we'll open up phone, phone lines a little later, maybe. Um, we have a few more updates on... <laughs> what? Herb just gave you the dirtiest look. What? <laughs> what did I do? No, no, no. I'm sure everyone else has a... Land, we're taking landline calls only. Yeah. No cell phones, no Wi-Fi. <laughs> Landlines only. Wait, that was a good call. It was just in pieces. It was just in pieces. It, yeah. It's all right. Luckily, we we got good with like filling in whenever uh, it got disconnected. So. I think she had a lot of great stuff to say, and I appreciate Gabriella for calling in. Um, I just think that maybe she needs a better Wi-Fi system or something. <laughs> um that's okay. And that's why, folks, if you want to come on the show, come in person. It's way more fun. Um, it is more fun. It's way more fun. We have so fun. many mics just hanging. Yeah, we have so many mics now. And we have this, like, creepy couch. It's great. Um, anyway, we have a couple other things to talk about today. 
actually multiple other things to talk about today. Uh, I want to, since we, you know, we've been covering Suffolk Downs for a little bit and speaking on that, there's a few other issues that we got to uh, early in early in the year, actually last year. Um, when it, Remember the Weymouth compressor? That fight is still going strong. Um, in fact, uh, our old guest, uh, Professor Nathan Phillips, has been on a hunger strike. So what's been going on with that, Evan? Take it away. So... As listeners know, uh, Nathaniel Phillips, professor at, I'm going to say BU. Mm-hmm. Yes, I was right, BU. I was going to BC and BU mixed up. Yeah. Um, he is obviously a strong um, advocate for, you know, the earth and <laughs> us all surviving and been fighting against the Weymouth Compression sta- Station just to remind people. Is kind of just like a power burst for natural gas, which is being pumped to this um, Canadian-owned um, energy company. So none of this is even going to be energy used in Massachusetts. And having one of these uh, compression stations, by the company's own admission, basically leaks to- what I'll just call as toxins into the air and can have, of course, horrible effects on children, which not to mention the general population. So to fight against this and to bring more awareness to it, uh, Professor Phillips went on a hunger strike, and he um, ended his strike, and he was went on a hunger strike for two weeks, which I don't know the longest I've ever gone without food. I'm going to say maybe 24 hours for, like, medical stuff. I don't think I'm ever making two weeks. So I did just want to read some parts of his statement just to, you know, kind of honor what he did. This did, did it end up getting national attention. Um, your boy, Tom... Steyer commented on it. My boy Tom Steyer, and, that's right. And that is kind of just for the activists out there. That is one of the tools or one of the, the reasons for things like hunger strikes. It's because it just raises that awareness. Enough people were talking about it. Enough people were making noise about it. So it did end up getting caught up in the national discourse. So just to read again from his statement, which he published on Valentine's Day, actually. Um, Last Wednesday, I concluded a two-week-long hunger strike to spotlight public safety violations at the construction site at the Weymouth Compressor, a new fossil fuel facility planned for Boston's South Shore. Friends and journalists have asked, was it worth it? Did we get what we wanted? His response, yes and no. So his intention was never that this was going to stop the Weymouth Compressor. This is one of those developments which is kind of just exists now on its own momentum, even though, as we talked about before, there are no public officials stating that they support this. Every one of our local representatives have spoken out against this. This is something that Charlie Baker could stop if he wanted to, but similar to what Marty Walsh is doing with the Suffolk Downs development, just don't talk about it, just move on, just let it happen. And uh, Charlie Baker actually has taken over $100,000 from this energy company. So, of course, there's a massive conflict uh, of interest. From the energy company's law firm. Correct. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So, to be specific, you know, to make it look a little less shady, they just have the law firm uh, give out the bribes rather than yeah. the entity itself. And the law firm is Mince Levin, by the way. Just And so... Uh, Nathan had three demands in doing this. He wanted to focus on actually decontaminating the dump trucks. So basically, whenever these uh, trucks would come onto the site, they would be collecting what they believed to be asbestos and then just driving throughout the community. With, yeah. And so just trying to say, hey, you should probably decontaminate 
all this um, like mecha mechanical equipment if you're now going to just drive by schools immediately afterwards. For some reason, we need people to go on hunger strikes to kind of point this out. And actually, Charlie Baker spoke about this because he was live on the radio a few days ago. And his statement was, I believe we're doing this. So... Not really yeah, but they it. actually have like a camera set up and they've had this elf on the shelf, elf in the tree mm -hmm. that has a lot of great tweets. If you want to follow that, um, <clears throat> that shows that they're not really doing anything. And uh, the second demand is to test the site, uh, the site more thoroughly to just to check the levels of asbestos. And then third and finally, to try to install air quality monitors. So as this process unfolds, we can actually know how much uh, toxins are being <clears throat> kind of just seeped into the air to harmfully affect the people of Weymouth. So he's saying that he is taking somewhat somewhat of a half win in that this did end up getting a lot of publicity. Yeah. It and went on national it got national attention. Though um, they are still fighting for those three uh, demands to make sure that the equipment is all being decontaminated, uh, to have air quality testing and to have uh, more testing of the site itself for asbestos. So like his closing comment, uh, Governor Baker, the 3,100 children in harm's way from this compressor project and children across the Commonwealth are urgently awaiting your action. Um, it's for their health, safety, and future. They can't afford to hold their breath. So uh, we just wanted to take a few minutes to honor that. Nathaniel uh, Phillips, local hero for yeah, what he did and he's... for uh, what he continues to do in terms of, again, mm -hmm. making this just somewhat of a more livable future and um on that topic of the weymouth compressor uh, i do want to plug an event if you are in the weymouth area and can make it um they're having a mass protest at the compressor sites uh compressor station site i'll i will actually share this link but it is uh february 19 wednesday from 8 a.m to 2 p.m the address is 50 bridge street in weymouth um I will send the link out to the page right now if you are in the Weymouth area and you want to support the fight against the Weymouth compressor. Uh, oh, that is not the right link, but that the try to, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing, but there is a pretty massive protest that is being planned for, um, for this issue. And, uh, you know, there'll be a lot of people there from the uh, four river, four river residents against the compressor station. Um, a little bit of a tongue twister. Yeah, I know. Um, there's a bunch of details on the website, nocompressor.com. Definitely get check it out. And if you have the free time and the ability to get down there, um, there's plenty of information about public transit. Uh, you can join them in fighting against this compressor and support Nathan Phillips and his, sometimes it seems like a, you know, it's been an uphill battle. I don't think Charlie Baker's responded to it yet at all. I mean, he, he's stated publicly that he is aware of it. Yeah. Like, I acknowledge that this is going on. <laughs> but it is something which would be in his domain to stop if he felt it was worth his time to protect the 3,100 children who live in Weymouth. And yeah. everybody is, everybody else in yeah. Congress is against it, so. But, you know, I, I'm sure the $100,000 of donations that he's been receiving hasn't influenced him whatsoever. But... Um, uh, in the same publication that he put that on, uh, Commonwealth Magazine, also uh, Marcy Reed, who's the president and uh, executive vice president at National Grid, wrote like his own. Um, wait, is Marcy a, a male or a woman? Either way. There. There. You can always go with there. The, uh, the, 
their own statement on this. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. It really pissed me off when I read it. But it, it's basically them uh, saying, oh, you know, like, this also caught our attention, the, uh, the days-long hunger strike. And we recognize this is a complex issue. I'm trying to get an actual quote for them. But, um, and, and therein lies our challenge. How can affordability underpin our clean energy transition? We believe we don't have to choose between electricity and gas any more than our customers should have to choose between heat and food. We seek to deca uh, decarbonize both networks alongside each other. The gas network of the future can look very different than it does today, with low-carbon fuels traveling through infrastructure already connected. They have some horrible ending line. Where is huh. it? We need more solutions and choices, not fewer, as we work to solve one of the greatest challenges of our lifetime. And again, this is just, this is someone who just literally gets direct paychecks and is the spokesman of National Grid, saying that no, 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 we should just keep having uh, more fossil fuel infrastructure. We should just keep using natural gas, even though our own companies are admitting that it's just seeping into the air and harming your children and harming pregnant women. But no, 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 you know what? We need more solutions because this is America, and in America we have solutions and not problems. Fuck all these people. The stress ball didn't work. I, I, I didn't even mean to read that. It just was on my mind. Now mark. I have to mark this episode as explicit. Thanks, it, it just Evan. So, and, like, why did, the, why did you get to write an op-ed? Like, because I, it's National Grid. They have a lot of money. I mean, I... I did you ever get your op-ed published, by the way? No, I just angrily write letters to well, people. Well, you should start just sending them everywhere. The, the closest I came was when I was 19, actually, to Time Magazine. And the editor got back to me and said, like, thank you for... For writing, but we're not going to publish this. Oh man! I just got a response, and now I just go into someone's spam <laughs> folder. But like, what? Why are we letting Marcy Reed comment on this? You work for the energy company. Anything you say is going to be skewed to just continue. Whatever. Because it's, that's what public relations is. It, it just like, <laughs> like why would we even like? I don't know. Forget Nobody's it. listening. Don't worry. It 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 pisses me off that that was like published. I don't know. What was a that few? published in? Commonwealth Magazine. Really? <coughs> That's unfortunate. So, like, yeah, again. Do better, Commonwealth. Again, like, like the same thing that published uh, Nathaniel Phillips' piece, explaining yeah. it, also publishes that. And it's just, like, I would just have massive, like, signs, like, before and after the column. Just being, like, <laughs> like this. Yeah, everyone keep in mind that this person literally makes money through this industry. Caution, this is an ad. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, again, to end that segment, uh, Nathaniel Phillips, local hero, keep up the fight. If you uh, live in Weymouth, you have the ability to. You said that was on Wednesday? Yep, Wednesday morning, 8 to 2 p.m., uh, 50 Bridge Street in Weymouth. It's going to be a massive protest against the compressor. Um, I can't go because, you know, I can't leave like a mile radius in my house. Um, but if you can, get down there and uh, join join the cause. I want to see a lot of people out there. I'll be sharing all the live streams that morning. Nice. Um, I don't know. Now I'm all... Hot and bothered. Do you well, want to talk about prison stuff? You let's talk, talk about, about prison stuff. Okay. Wait, what do you want to talk about? It's, it's now that you're cool. hot and bothered. Um, I'm so curious. No, no, let's go. Let's go into the prison segment because because we do a more on housing. Just some things that we've missed over the last two weeks yeah, that no, we want to highlight. Stuff. So as oh, it's so awful. <coughs> as um, listeners will probably know, um, a few lawmakers did a surprise visit of a supermax prison here in Massachusetts, basically responding to a lot of allegations of abuse and just torture. There's been basically like a like a huge like wave of violence over at um, Susa Baranowski, I think is how you say it, a uh, correction 
facility at the Correction Center. This is basically the max security prison across from Shir MCI Shirley. Yeah, the the Sousa Baranowski yeah. uh, Correctional it's, Center. It's like the max uh, in the max prison that's like kind of almost in that complex of uh, the Shirley men's prison. Um, uh, State Center Jamie Eldridge, as well as State Rep Mike Connolly, obviously two names that come up a lot on the show that we are in huge support of. Uh, as Sen Senator Jamie Eldridge is, you know, from my hometown and also an amazing advocate for uh, incarcerated people, which is rare um, and for somebody that is based out of the suburbs. Uh, but Shirley is in his district and they did do a surprise visit. And what we they have discovered is like pretty horrifying for, you know, a prison in a state like Massachusetts, but I'm not surprised by it. So, And it, um, they're responding to a lawsuit which was filed, which is why they did the surprise visit, and I believe they've done surprise uh, visits since then to other um, Supermax facilities. And so the lawsuit... It's not Supermax, it's just Max. <clears throat> this one is a Supermax, I thought. No, it's just Max. Okay. We don't have Supermaxes in Massachusetts. Okay. Um, so just... <laughs> Mass okay, maximum security prison. Okay. Yeah, just Max. Uh, the lawsuit also alleges physical mistreatment of inmates, um, some descriptions being prisoners being bitten by dogs, hit with stun guns, handcuffed, beaten with fists, stripped of their clothing, relocated to other cells with little explanation, um, the use of solitary confinement, the use of calorie restriction, the use of restriction of hygiene and showers. Again, basically just torture. They took away all their paperwork and didn't allow them phone calls. <laughs> uh, did not allow them access to their lawyers during this time. And they are responding to what they're saying was there was an attack on a guard. And and it was three inmates. It was three inmates out of that whole facility, right? That attacked the guard. Um, I believe so. Like, I'm just quickly just looking at it. On January 10th, the State Department okay. of Correction reported that a correctional auction, uh, officer was surrounded and attacked by a group of inmates. Um, two officers were also injured. Six inmates were removed from the unit as a result, according to the DOC. And then what they have been doing is collective torture of all the inmates as, as retaliation for this. And we have two pieces of audio to play for you. Uh, the first is actually from an, in, an inmate himself, who um, I believe he was speaking to one of our normal go-tos, uh, T.C. Daring. Um, on Radio Boston. Nice. Uh, Herb, do you have that audio? All right, let's play that, and let's uh, listen to the um, inmate describe his experience. The officer just started tasering me and beating me and punching me and calling me N-words, and I ended up going to the outside hospital. I got stitches across my face. I currently have a black eye, busted lip. Um, my hands are shaking. I think it's the adverse effects from the taser. I stayed in the outside hospital for about two days. When I returned, I wasn't up to being beaten again because they're not, they're, they're, they're punching you in your face off top. They're not taking any type of resistance and there's nothing other than what they say. If you don't abide by it, they're using excessive force. And so, uh, Kel, he said he was allowed out of his cell uh, for 15 minutes a day. He said showers, food, both limited. Uh, and also, just in terms of this phone call itself, he said he knew that he was violating prison rules by speaking with me, but he was willing to take that risk. We can't be heard, and our story doesn't get told. Then there's only going to be one story that's put out there. 
it's a false narrative. Like, we're all savages, we're all animals, and we had attacked the sword. And, like, a lot of guys don't even know what happened or took place or that how we're being treated. Like, it's an environment where it's like life isn't even worth living under these conditions. This doesn't work. We all know punishment met with more punishment doesn't bring nothing except more violence, more pain, more more hurt. You 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 give guys no incentive to to want to do the right thing. And what he said there, Kale, uh, about and that interview ends up getting cut short because like guards come in the room yeah. or in the area, and the inmate says like I have to hang up on you right now. I don't want to get caught doing With- this. Yeah, my heart goes out to him. I hope he's okay. Because I know what would happen if they did find him doing that. Hopefully. And and we're going to play the correctional officer's comment on this in a little bit. But just to kind of like, to speak to what he was talking about. Because it's very easy to uh, listen to uh, what that gentleman just said. And first instinct to maybe be, yeah, but you did something wrong. So like, you deserve this. And, and you have to like split that into two different parts. One is if, let's just say you think, okay, they deserve this. Do you think that what this individual is now going through is now going to make um, him a productive member of society once he gets out? And, and there is no one with a straight face that can say yes to that. We have nothing but over a century of, d- of data to show that this level of inhumane treatment does not stop it it does not then um have an individual get out of prison and saying okay i'm gonna be a great member of society now i learned my lesson i'm ready to go all this does is cause harm and future damage all this does is make it more likely that if you've gone through this type of treatment that you will not be able to be what i'll just describe as a well-adjusted member of society because of the trauma and abuse that you felt so so that's the first part is that that this doesn't work the second part to it is that because you have done something wrong, you deserve this. That, and this is what is wrong with our entire justice system is it is only focused on the punishment of the person. And every single one of us, if you listen to this, you have broken laws at some point in your life. I break <laughs> laws constantly. And, and to think um, that there is anything that you should do that then justifies this. And this is going to hit home a lot more once we listen to the correctional officer, but that that there are just some people that are savages, that they are innately bad and therefore this treatment is okay. And that is completely designed to get us as a society used to it's okay that marginalized people are treated like this because there's something wrong with them, because they're bad, they're dangerous, and they have to have this treatment. It's okay to have those... uh camps down at the border where they separate no, it, families. Exactly. And, and it just they get, shouldn't have come here. They broke it, the yep, law. Yep, That's they, not even a they, real crime. They did something wrong. Yeah. And then they can, that population that they target, that can always be widened. The amount of uh, laws that they decide this treatment is justified to, to can always be widened and extended. And it has been mm-hmm. and it will be. And so you, you always have to kind of just recognize and almost fight against what has been instilled in us, which is they did something wrong, so they deserve this. Because for the two points I just said, one, it doesn't work. It makes it more likely that they will not be, again, quote-unquote, um, good citizens once they're out. And Plus, that- beating people is wrong. <coughs> two wrongs don't make a right. Those guards are committing crimes by sticking dogs on people in their cells and having them get 
spitting and beating them in the face. That's a, that's a crime. And they're doing it uh, again. Yes, and that's so, wrong. Yep. And, that's and so, <laughs> so if all those correctional officers are right now in open violation of the law, they're not getting the same treatment in return. No. Do you think all the police officers that have just been caught um, with the overtime scheme, they're breaking the law? Are any of them facing this type of treatment? <laughs> no. That's like felony embezzlement, and all they're worried about is getting fired. It, Exactly. It's just, we allow a certain segment of our society that we have come to accept it's okay that they are treated like this. Yeah. And it just isn't, and it's wrong. And anyone in this environment would fight against it. Anyone in the, who went goes through this environment, if you had a chance to take a punch at one of those correctional officers after months of being tortured, if you had the strength in you, you would do it. And I absolutely would too. So it's not about who these individuals are. It's about the environment that they're in. And that is just another thing to keep in mind. Um, do you have anything else on before we actually? I'm probably going to get this in the next. Let's hear from the cop and get more right. pissed. All right. So let's, let, let's now listen to the correctional officer explain why he thinks this is justified. With Kevin Flanagan with the Massachusetts Correction Officers Federated Union. These inmates make allegations because honestly, they don't want to conform to the rules inside of prison. They couldn't conform to the rules outside in society. Now they're inside of a prison where, yes, their freedoms were taken away because they committed a crime. You know, I, I've heard the rumors, I've heard the allegations, and it's nonsense. I also know that inmates have thrown bodily fluids and excrement at offices. These are bad guys. So, Deb, sounds like some acknowledgement. That All right. What is it with cops thinking it's okay for us to just shoot, kill, and torture because somebody threw pee on me once? Yeah, I know, right? Wasn't that the, the argument at Straight Pride? Yes. Somebody threw a bottle of urine, so let's yeah. go attack no, no. everybody. It's okay that I tase the 60-year-old grandmother <laughs> because I heard about Johnny down on the 2nd District. Someone threw a ball of piss at him. Yep. <laughs> it's just weird that they always use that as I know. Example. Like, flinging poo is, like, the most <clears throat> dangerous. Like, honestly, just want, you know. But listen, you're in a prison. You chose to be there. They didn't. You're getting paid to deal with this. Deal with it like an adult because they don't want to be here. And I don't know why you chose to do this for a living. But And again, what, what he spoke about, what, he hit kind of the highlights that we already just discussed. That these are people that deserve this treatment because they couldn't conform to the rules of society. That we live... And, and just what that statement signals or what that statement tries to get you to think is we live in a very fair society and he is right and he is wrong. And if you do the right thing, you'll be rewarded and you get a nice house and you get the white picket fence and you have a good job. And there are just some people because they're bad who don't do the right thing. And those are the people that now deserve this treatment. And the second you accept that narrative, then you accept that that population, again, they will keep extending it. They will target more and more people, more and more marginalized populations. And the levels of violence that they're saying it's, is acceptable will continue to es escalate. I mean, like they're talking about calorie restriction. They're talking about like cutting down the amount of meals people get. Uh, they already do that in a lot of prisons um, with the Nutri-Loaf. And uh, is the food torture or torture through terrible food is like a common thing, everyday occurrence in prison. Especially well in private prisons. Because... Private prisons, yeah. We don't have those in Massachusetts. Thankfully. Thank goodness. But yes, that's a common occurrence, um, as well as solitary confinement. Um, I've seen girls go to the hole for having a seizure and their fist hit a guard's face. So, you know, this is just there. It's a completely dehumanizing experience for everybody, I think, including the guards. And I think I don't know how they sleep at night. Um, I hope they don't. But uh, so, so that's actually a very good point to kind of think about is like from the guards perspective. <clears throat> 
because a lot of this is reaction to a power dynamic. That, right. that if you are put in this reality where you have to have complete control over another person's body, then you will use these very horrific means to maintain that level. Because the reality is humans are not supposed to have this, this power dynamic over one another. And this is something, yeah. that, like, this is something that we've talked about on the show. Like, what happens when you have billions of dollars? What happens when you get to own 95% of, like, a whole neighborhood of Boston? You just, look at how Mike Bloomberg talks about uh, people of color. It's just, once you have these power dynamics, it erodes you as a person, and you start not to view others as also having it. And, again, this is all in, in retaliation to a, a prison guard got attacked. And, and, and so let's and this just... has been going on for months since <coughs> collective punishment yeah. in the entire entire prison. Yes. And so, OK, uh, like I actually uh, I mean, as much as sometimes I joke about stuff, I actually don't want violence being done on prison guards or police officers. I, I actually don't. And, I, and I'm against that. And I hope the, the uh, correctional officer or the prison guard, or whatever, is safe. And do they need stitches like the like the gentleman? I, I... I have no idea. But, you know what I mean? But like, but you cannot then collectively punish the entire people who are in the hole who had nothing to an do entire with population. It. And, and that's what we see a lot in immigration policy. Is and I'm not going to bring up the article because I'll just go off another twenty. That's minutes. what you see in concentration camps. Yes, it, it <laughs> it's um, the, these three undocumented immigrants did something horrible. They committed rape. They committed murder. And therefore, our entire oppression in concentration camps and prison state is justified on the entire population because of this small, small fraction of percent of their actions. And so in this prison, three, six uh, inmates attacked. And I'm not, I'm not justifying that or saying that's good. But now we are going to restrict the amount of food that everyone in the population gets. We're going to beat and taser everyone in the population. And this argument will always be used. They'll always take these minute examples to then justify the violence that is done on a larger population. It gets worse. You want to hear some of the arguments from the uh, Correctional Guards unit, uh, Union? The, yeah, uh, bring them on. Yeah, it gets, Evan, it gets worse. Bring them. Um, so... Uh, basically, Senator uh, Eldridge, Senator James Eldridge <coughs> went to visit, and there's been some media attention on this, um, and people have interviewed the Union of uh, Correctional Officers, the Federated Correctional Officer Union that I believe they spoke to one of their representatives in the last clip. They have argued that, they have argued since the assault that the 2018 criminal justice reform law, which limited the use of solitary confinement among a range of other changes, precipitated the attack and the rise in violence. So this you got this union of correctional officers who basically are having their jobs threatened a little bit by criminal justice reform because what's the point of having a whole bunch of prison guards if you're not putting people in prison anymore? What's the point of having these extra overtime of all these guards? They're considering closing MCI Framingham, thank God. Um, and, you know, moving away from incarcerating nonviolent drug addicts, etc. They are afraid of this. This is their job security. So they're going to go and blame the criminal justice reform law, which led to a, a, like abolishing a bunch of mandatory minimums, getting people out early. And uh, it was an amazing bill passed by, you know, I believe it was also spearheaded by Mike Connolly and Jamie Eldridge. Um, it left a few <coughs> things out that I would have liked it to include. But, you know, you take what you can get. Um, it did a lot. Uh, so Mike Connolly had something to say on this. I'm just going to quote him. 
that he finds it, uh, I find it incredibly disturbing and discouraging that the Corrections Officers Union appears to be actively advocating against the moderate criminal justice reforms that we enacted into law. Um, I think it raises a lot of concerns about what the intentions are when they seem to be so determined to speak out against some of the modest reforms we tried to introduce. Because really, they're going to go and turn it against a law that was passed two years ago. They're, this whole outbreak of violence, uh, well, we couldn't lock everybody in solitary and look what happened. Um, basically, our state pushed forward a bill that helped deliver more human rights. And uh, this union of prison guards really doesn't look good when they're saying that that's to blame for this outbreak of violence. Uh, Especially when they can't point to a specific policy in that law, which actually led to right. the attack. Right, like were these inmates just, like, oh. just let out of the hole because they weren't allowed to be kept there that long because of this reform? And like, I think the limit is like 10 years. It's ridiculous. Like you can be locked up in the hole for a wicked long time. Um, so also they they were in Suffolk Superior Court. Uh, it was the ACLU uh, uh, bringing forward a lawsuit because uh, I'm going to call them detainees, not even inmates at this point, because that's what it feels like. Uh, we're not... Um, or incarcerated people were not given access to their lawyer because there was a complete shut, a complete lockdown, as well as everyone had their paperwork taken, so they didn't have their numbers of their lawyers to call. So the ACLU challenged this and was putting forward a lawsuit. And uh, attorney Victoria Kelleher questioned the head, uh, the head uh, warden uh, of Sousa Baranowski Correction Correction Center. Um, asked so. Uh, Kelleher asked Kenaway about his tour of Abu Ghraib prison in Iraq during his time in the military. And you know what the warden of this prison said? I thought it was well run. So if that doesn't really say it all, I don't know what else does. Uh, these people have been completely dehumanized uh, through the act of torture and through the act of beating on people who are in a less <clears throat> lesser situation, people they've been told are bad. Um, the whole system's corrupt. Abolish prisons, fire this guy for sure. Uh, I don't know what else to tell you, but uh, I don't know if those those two facts of how they're defending themselves and the guy who runs the facility is saying that he thinks Abu Ghraib was a well-run place. And also that we're hiring the people that ran um, CIA black sites. Yeah, like why hasn't he been like, well, he toured it. I don't know if he was running Abu Ghraib at the time, um, but... I mean, I'm, at this point, I feel like uh, war crimes oh, yeah. wouldn't uh, even be a problem. I mean, if we lived in a just society. <laughs> yeah. But so, I, you know, as I look further and further into this, I just get more and more upset because there's just so much more stuff about how, like, craven and awful this union is and uh, the criminal justice system in general and the kind of bad apples or the bad rotten barrel that they're all festering in. And that certainly doesn't help any redemption for people who are locked up that doesn't help with any rehabilitation uh it just it it's just a cesspool of bad um i hate prisons as you should i hate prisons so much like and i i mean like to close it out like as we talked about we know it does nothing but actually cause more harm we know it is just a complete waste of public taxpayer dollars. It, it just, it literally just almost exists to just get us all numb to just the element of like cruelty that like this is acceptable in a society. Sure, everyone knows the stat, like the United States, we incarcerate a larger percentage than any other nation on the planet. 
and a lot of this just comes out of the 1980s and uh, the war on drugs that again we've continued these policies to this day but it's it's just something that like uh, in other societies it's just like what like like we yeah. this is like what you do to your population oh but like you all know this doesn't work right oh no no we know we know we're just this is just what we do so you should always focus on how we treat like the most marginalized, the quote unquote lowest members of our community, because that will always be kind of a, a compass or an indicator of what we will. And, you know, even in places like there's some place like Sweden and Finland where they have prisons and they are run like jobs training programs and they have like much more comfortable beds, for instance. And um, I think I believe they gave some of them kittens in one of them. And it's like men's prisons with violent criminals. Actually, there is, uh, I think, a less of a drug problem out there. So it's not even the drug war. Like, these are actually, like, maybe more messed up people than our prison population because it's the drug war was not as big a thing. But there's a much larger focus on re-education and rehabilitation. And... Uh, Which is, was oddly, like, was supposed to be the point of prisons. The, of I don't think it was ever the point of prisons. I think the point of prisons was cheap labor. Prisons were originally seen as like the good reform to just like outright uh, corporal punishment. And just like, well, if, <laughs> if we give a regimented lifestyle, maybe they'll learn the scales that they'll need. Like, like yeah. this was how like in the 19th century prisons like were meant. And even though now we've learned completely that that doesn't work, that actually having more humane therapeutic uh, treatment. Even even when you shouldn't even be. I'm really trying to think about whether being like. incarcerated or being spanked publicly would have worked better for me, but <laughs> the system works. Um, but you know, this is uh, it's a drug war situation in my end. I don't know, you know, for other people, um, there are. I, I'm sure if I was facing a large amount of time, like a mandatory minimum, two and a half years, I would absolutely prefer corporal punishment. Give me ten lashes all day. Probably. I'd you know what I mean? Too. Like, I'd be fine with that because, like, two and a half years locked up in that place, you don't, I don't, it takes an incredibly strong person and incredibly good luck to come out of that any better than you went in. Um, it's super destructive, especially if you go to the hole. You don't come out the same. And to see other people go through that, too, even if you're the most gold star inmate, you know, well-behaved, good behavior, all of that. Um, to witness other people being abused by the guards and uh, dehumanized is traumatic in itself. So it's just it's just a cesspool of like terror. Um, hashtag I'm, abolish prisons. Yeah, just abolish prisons. Hashtag free them all. I, I don't know what else to tell you. There's maybe like five percent of people who are skinners that need to stay away from the population, but for the majority of people, I feel like there is uh, hope for redemption and reintegration into society what's the skinner uh like a diddler ah okay. <laughs> like somebody who's just like you know i mean sex crimes basically that's about it um there aren't too many of those in women's prison mostly men's uh, i could say just open the doors of framingham i will say if you could open the door and unlock mci framingham and just let everybody out we would be in no more danger as a society the worst thing would be the women who are addicts or homeless or in abusive situations uh, may be in more danger because they're out 
and released without support. But uh, I think you could just unlock those doors and let those girls out and nothing, nothing bad would come of it to the rest of society. You could probably let out 95% of the entire United States prison population and without at yeah. all, I mean, besides without having a transition in place, meaning like people who now need housing, and, right. and job security, and just enough like, you know, money for food, because obviously just... Well, what if we took all the money we spent on <coughs> locking them up? Because it costs like uh, 70 grand a year to... Oh, yeah. Like you, 70 you, you, grand you would a year. need a fraction of what yeah. we pay per inmate. And if you just gave them that money yeah, and then said, okay, go get, <laughs> go get an apartment and just like... Give them a section eight. Like apartment. Here's six months of somewhere to live, and we're going to yep. hook you up with a uh, job counselor. We're going to hook you up with a social worker. That is still so cheaper than uh, well, the current uh, yeah, dynamic. that's true. Um, speaking of Section 8 and housing. <laughs> that's a great segue. This you is were, a very heavy topic. There you go. Um, so we missed uh, two weeks of kind of some just housing news in Boston. And so I... And like I don't have it in like a cute, sexy segment or some no like no sexy taxes. No, no sexy taxes. Everyone yet. loves no. sexy taxes. Actually, I like people sending memes about sexy, sexy taxes. Sexy taxes, yeah. Just you know what? Actually, quick plug: we have a Facebook group, Renters Radio. Um, I'm gonna post it here, Renters Radio. Uh, it's not the show page; it's like a group, and you can post as many sexy taxes memes as you want here, and we would love to. Uh, we would love to hear from you and love to see it. I love to see it. Love to see love it. Love to see it. But there were um, two big studies that were like recently released in terms of um, housing in Boston. So I did just want to speak to them and just make sure our audience is aware of it. Um, one of which <laughs> is that there aren't actual families living in family housing. And so when we think of, you know, in like a SimCity, I don't know, view of Boston, if you're looking at two bedroom, three bedroom, you know, three family units, we think of those as family units because like they were designed for, oh, like, you know, the parents and the kids sleep there. And however, the reality is, let's say less than 40% of three bedroom homes in the core of the greater Boston area actually has families and kids living in them. They, um, the vast majority, so uh, about two thirds are either old, what they call empty nesters. So like a grandmother, or grandparents who just still live in um, a three bedroom uh, place that they've stayed in forever or what is far more common, which is like my living situation. And I think yours too. And bunch probably, of probably herbs, which is, yeah, you just have a bunch of roommates. It's a, it's a bunch of people on Craigslist who all just share a two bedroom, a three bedroom. I live in a four bedroom. I live in a five bedroom. You live in a five. frat house. See, I have four bedroom, two baths. You live in a mansion compared to me. It is. You're living large. I, I sell tickets as a tour. Because I sometimes I go all the way to Dorchester <laughs> just to use his bathroom. <laughs> because the line at my house is too long. Okay. So so th that came out of this one big study. Is that less than 40% of what we'll call like a family unit housing, a three-bedroom house, actually has a family living in it. And what builds on that is... It's come to everyone's re uh, understanding now that there are no kids living in Boston. And what I mean by that is like just literal children. Nobody has babies anymore. It's, it's too expensive. Is, well, uh, well, like, I mean, <laughs> one of it is like our generation has to wait longer and longer to have children because we just don't have job security. We don't have the space. We don't have the time. 
because we're all working two to three jobs trying to stay in our little Craigslist areas. So, and currently right now, Boston Public Schools has roughly uh, 55,000 kids. Do you know how many uh, kids were going to Boston Public Schools in the 1930s? 50,000. I mean, even that would be impressive that 80 years ago, uh, we have the same number. All of them? 133,000 children. So many more children. And again, this is like 80 years ago. Like, like you would think like population increases. Boston has grown population-wise number not as a city. Families. But not for families and not for kids. We have less than half the amount of kids living here than we did 80 years ago. And it's 100% because of how inex or how expensive it is to live here. And so, so we have that stat. We have, there are no kids living uh, in Boston anymore, less than half than there were in the 1930s. That the family units we do have less than 40% actually have families in them. The second uh, thing in Boston that I want to talk about before we go a little across the pond international is that Boston has the highest growth of family homelessness right. out of any, uh, not, not Boston, Massachusetts as a state. We have, we rank first in the growth of family homelessness. And my first reaction to this was we should immediately just seize every luxury condo yeah. that we know is just owned by a hedge fund. And we're going to actually talk about how, just, how, yeah. how that is not a far left Evan brain idea that there are actual states that come to the same realization that we should center our values upon public good and not what yeah. can get some hedge fund in <clears throat> Ireland a 30% uh, boost for their uh, return on investment. But, um, let's see, every year, 1,000 Massachusetts children and families tumble into homelessness. The state is a dismal national leader. In fact, with the highest percentage increase in family homelessness in any state since the Great Recession, according to new family data. And so, so, so that's a reality. And people should think about uh, Charlie Baker's uh, State of the Commonwealth, where it was just nothing but everything was great. Massachusetts, we're ranking top in the charts. <laughs> And, and these are the type of things that we don't focus on. We don't focus on, we're basically torturing uh, prisoners in our facilities. We don't focus on families being homeless. So, we're Boston. We're focused on profit. Yeah, we're, we're focused on profit. We're, we're focused on uh, real estate tax revenue has doubled in the last 10 years. And then you have to like just question, well, what does that mean? Because we just have luxury ho uh, housing. Or, or if that is true, why are we putting more into affordable housing? <laughs> um, I have to find a tweet that... Uh, City Life put out today, um, just in terms of like in Suffolk Downs, how many actual affordable units have been created in the last 10 years? Did you see this? Did you like this? You always like I, my tweets. I don't always like your tweets. <laughs> um, Actually, I do. I'm, right. I'm your number one fan. That's true. Okay. I retweet it all. In East Boston, luxury development is a roading community. Only 25 housing units have been built at 30% AMI in the last 10 years. 25. 25, 25 units. 25, no zeros at in, the end. In the last decade actually has been to what we'll call truly affordable. And so what does that still, mean Which is still month? a family like making 30 to 40 grand. So what does that mean per month? Is that 30% of 35? So, so that means that... I really want them to break it down. Honestly, one of the things I would like groups to do just shout out to city life and everybody is to break it down into monthly rent so 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 when some and, and this is what gabriella was talking about so this does not go full circle which is they want 
Uh, 2,000 units, 20% of the 10,000, 2,000 units to be set at 30% of the AMI. And so what that means is that a family that makes $35,000 a year, they will only have to pay less than a third of their total income for rent. Less than a third. Less than a third. And so, so now you just like, well, what does that mean? Like per right. month, but that's kind of the standard is you should not be paying more than one third of your salary for where you live. Just that is kind of just the number that people have uh, measured as saying like, this is acceptable that you can uh, pay your rent, pay your other bills, have what we'll call a balanced life. That's a lot harder to do also with a family. So, but only 25 units in East Boston have been built in the last decade that actually approached this. So shout out to uh, Pablo and City Life saying uh, like 2000, like when you consider that 2000 is a monumental achievement that they're fighting for. So that's the state of housing in Boston, just for some more updates. However, there are other cities across the world that are also dealing with housing issues and they get to be so much more responsive to these needs than we are here. Right now, we are fighting tooth and claw to lift a cap so that maybe our city can pass rent control. That to right. us is this... To lift a ban, not even a pass it, just yeah, to lift yeah. a ban on it. Just to let cities decide this, that to us is um, the furthest left crazy idea. Do you know what Berlin did two weeks ago to address their housing needs? I bet it was awesome. They froze all rent increases for five years. Hell yeah. Just, we are dealing, um, they are going through a housing crisis. Wow, it was so awesome that the webcam fell down. <laughs> they was like, whoa, I am floored, a rent freeze. They, they, hey, dads. Um, <laughs> again, um, many residents in Berlin, I'm now reading from the Globe article, um, have balked as large U.S. property firms like BlackRock and Berkshire Hathaway Again, just buying investment properties—the same stuff that the same stuff that our companies are doing here, the same stuff that foreign companies are doing here, other companies are doing in other cities around the world. So to fight against this, to fight against this um, displacement which is going on, Berlin isn't spending hours of Boston Globe op-eds saying is rent control right for us. They just say no, f this. You cannot increase your rent for the next five years until we figure this out. Yeah, and. Uh, I'm just going to read a little bit from the article. Um, housing is a need like water, said Stella Nekshish, 27, <laughs> as she waited to tussle with more than Die. 100 other prospective renters at another apartment viewing. <coughs> and so, again, rent control is not a rent freeze. Rent freeze is even more... I don't even like to use the word extreme. It is a more rational response to the need. It's a progressive response. It is a progressive response to the need to actually centering it around human beings and not, but how will the developments get 20% return on their investment if we do this? And guess what? That is not actually the most extreme thing they're thinking about in Berlin. So what I, I mentioned, I don't know, 10 minutes ago, when I read that Boston is number one in terms of family um, homelessness, my response to that was, why don't we seize every hedge fund owned, owned by an LLC condo that is completely vacant and no one's living in there. Let's just unlock the door and let's say to the family, your family can stay here. We'll, we'll, we'll figure out who stays where and how to make this all work. Open the doors. Yeah. In Berlin, this is, oh, this is when I get all excited. 
In Ber uh, Berlin, politicians are talking about forcibly expropriating properties from corporate landlords. What is forcible expro expro <laughs> expropriating? It is another way of saying using eminent domain. It Ooh. is another way of saying what I am saying, which is this is all speculative property that no one lives there. We have people who are dying on the streets. This, uh, this, the government is now just going to barge in. We own this now. Open the doors. Give to people in need. Redistribute the housing. Redistribute the housing. So first, uh, purchasing it. Which, like, which whatever we use eminent domain, I think I mentioned it, eminent domain during our, like, pilot episode, our premiere episode. We've been talking about eminent domain for so, a while. So, um, in our laws, like, you have to pay market value. It's market value. Yeah. Market value right now, the government can it's just go lot. buy a house. What, what, in other areas, what they say is, like, no, no, no. We're going to give you, like, half of the market value because we need to make sure families are staying alive. Forget your profit. So, it's, like, the social value. Or the collect, like the cultural value, or whatever. It's What's called the use value. Use value. Use value. There you go. How many babies? Oh, say so you. You have been reading the communist manifesto. No, i Yeah, I actually have been. I'm like, I'm like a three quarters of the way through it. Yeah. Shout out to Ben Simon for hooking <laughs> me up as my birthday present. I got some Karl Marx and Engels. Anyway, and, housing. And so you know they're phrasing this is bringing property back to the people. Hell yeah! And it, it it is using what what we call eminent domain, which is that there is a crisis going on. Yeah. And it's ridiculous that we allow vacant uh, properties to just sit there. Let's have the state uh, seize them, have the state buy them, use whatever verb you want to make it yourself more comfortable, and let's give it to people in need. And so Berlin five year rent freeze. And they're talking about seizing this. And so the rent freeze is like the moderate position. And so I, I get frustrated. I get tired of people uh, talking about how extreme rent control is. No. Where if you, and, and like <clears throat> I sometimes think like, oh, like, are we going too far left? Is this too much that people are ready for? But then you just read about how other cities around the world address it. And then I'm just like, we're not going far enough. Like, That's true. We need legislation being passed about seizing um, banking properties. We need it like yesterday. Like, <clears throat> well, like something that actually responds to the level of the crisis. If, yeah. ev if everyone agrees that we have a housing crisis in Boston, if everyone um, agrees that um, our homeless population is increasing, that families are being kicked out on the streets, that we're having epic uh, record numbers of displacement and evictions, well, why don't we actually address it? What policy would address it? I mean, if domain addresses it, let's do that. Rent freeze for the next five years, let's do that. Instead, all we're doing is debating, is it okay if you get the housing bill out of committee so that we can have a discussion on the legislature floor? And, oh, my God, it pisses me off that this is like where we have to go. I know. It's really like uh, pushing the rock up the hill with that because uh, it's very much very late. Like, it feels too late. There's been so many families split up by homelessness and so many single mothers and so much struggle and destabilization of like growth of people um, over many years that, you know, this stuff could have fixed a while ago, but it's not too late. We still have to fight for it. Um, support the lifting the ban on rent control, obviously. Uh, I, I guess now to center it like around action, um, the housing bill on extension, it's still in committee that uh, Honan is the chairman of, who is facing the um, progressive challenge from Jordan uh, Mihan that we had interviewed before. Mian. So, Jordan Mian. Mian. So 
Um, look up to see if your state representative is on, on the housing committee. It takes two minutes to figure that out. Give them a call and just strongly encourage them to just pass it out of committee. Not saying rent freeze, even though that is absolutely what we need. Not saying <laughs> eminent domain season. Love your Baby houses, steps, Even though people. that's exactly Baby what we steps. need. I just want the bill to get out of committee so that we can have a floor vote on it so we know who does or does not stand for rent control. And, the, and, and that's the state of Massachusetts. Oh, we're so progressive. We're doing everything. <laughs> uh, do you know how many state reps have told me, like, oh, like, oh what's going on in Washington? But, you know, here in Massachusetts, we get stuff done. We're yeah. figuring it out. Oh, yeah. Okay, sure. <laughs> Um, so, um, those, uh, I'm trying to find the link to the thing to call your state rep about the rent control. Uh, if you're listening right now to, to rent this radio, I, I bet you, you have, or know how to contact yeah. your state rep, but maybe we'll try to throw that in the show notes. Uh, the only other thing, um, that I just quickly had was in New York city, uh, broker fees. They, oh, they have yeah. recently passed that. That's not something that you can just pass on to renters. Bless you. See, oh God, we're all still so sick. Herb, how are you feeling? You feel better? Herb's shaking his head. Thumbs down. All right, Herb's sick too. Oh God, we like literally were on our deathbeds. And um, I, I was going to clip it, but I knew we already had um, enough. But like people calling in, discussing broker fees. And oh yeah. It's, it, it's just another ridiculous thing that to get an apartment in most cities, you have to pay first, last, security, yeah. and a broker fee, which is basically a, just a middleman between you and the developer. Yeah, so, somebody's literally making money doing <coughs> what Craigslist can do for free. And all the arguments I, I've heard is like, well, like brokers need this to live. I, and then I'll say, just put that in two different things. One is that using a broker is no longer needed. No. And, they, we have and, this thing called the internet. And if you want to say that brokers still ha um, should exist or good for a city to have, okay, the owner has to cover the cost. It, it's ridiculous. I actually think brokers should be abolished because what they do is go through those databases of uh, no-fault evictions and look up people's names and do credit checks and find out if they've ever had an eviction served against them. Or maybe if their parents did, even if they weren't on the lease, like we talked about. The, so I just kind of, I just forget brokers. We don't need them. The, they do all kinds of things that aren't good. There's something about um, a broker has some responsibility legally over like like the property itself. And so people are say- Are they mowing the lawn? I, 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 I don't actually know how it works. Are they shoveling the driveway? My- my larger argument is if people are telling me that brokers are necessary to the real estate industry in Boston, fine. But the fee and the payment should not be on the backs of renters who already have to cough up three, four grand just to get in the room that they that they had ahead of time. The owners of the property, they you confront the broker the fees. So that, that I don't. My... I mean, honestly, given the situation with housing, I'm not sure the real estate industry is a necessary thing or that brokers are even a necessary middleman at this point. Uh, I think we can cut that out and just use the internet. Use the internet. Yeah. Just go. Well, if you're trying to rent, just like go on <laughs> Craigslist, meet the people, meet the landlord. I, I'm, I'm fine, getting, extra rid fees, I'm fine right? getting rid of uh, brokers. Uh, I'm just going to, uh, for public record, fine. If, you, if you're going to have them, if somebody wants to tell me about all the things they do for the property. Okay. But that's a property manager. But it, it, the the it's burden of this should not be on the renters. No. Um, and New York abolished that, right? So so New York abolished 
having to have the renters take the burden. It right. didn't like get rid of the fees. It was just saying um, this is not something that the renters have to be responsible for. Okay. Developers, you figure it out if if you want to hire them to do some sort of maintenance with your property or some sort of advertising with your property. But you can't keep pushing this on the renters. And I guess uh, this is also addressed in Mike Connolly's bill. It, it would also yeah. allow uh, cities, which again, uh, Mike Connolly's bill, which again, uh, we're strong champions of, it just allows cities to decide this for themselves if you're going to have it. It's Yeah, it's not even actually it, abolishing it yeah. things that we wanted to abolish. It's not, It doesn't institute um, rent control. It doesn't. Oh my god! Like that'd be awesome. It's, yeah. Say no, what? Control. Remember like, like when? Oregon remember when we like decriminalized marijuana so that you couldn't get like arrested for having a little bit of it, but we still didn't have pot shops. We still didn't have like medical marijuana dispensaries. We just were at least you know if you were white, a little safer from getting like in trouble for it. This is that step. This is the beginning. It's like it doesn't even actually do what we want to see ideally. Um, but it's just like the lift on the ban for these things. It does a couple of things that we want to see, but it's it's just the first step. Just, just the baby step. Yeah. All right. Of like, let's stop doing this bad thing, God, and then I, maybe we can do. I want to go mer- move to Berlin and just chill with the politicians. I really who are just honestly, like let's just seize the houses. And we like, have oh, any F, yeah. listeners in Berlin who want to like sponsor us as a trip? Yeah, or we, just we, actually we do a fact finding mission. Yeah, or like literally just uh, like hide me there. Why do you have to be hidden in? Because I can't um, leave and I might get extradited oh, okay. if I leave for too long. But like, you know. I can go. I'm fine. Yeah, any, you can any take out there. Berlin. He can go party in the cool clubs in Berlin. I think I, I went through Germany once on a train, but I don't uh, think I ever like set foot. See, I don't think he should go to Berlin without me because I feel like I can find all the good parties. But That's true. Like I'm just going to go to... He'll be like at the library. Yeah, I'm like go to your li- go to your library, or I'm just gonna go chill in Parliament. And I'll just be high like- five everyone. It's like good job. Yeah. Even though you know, I'm sure you eat bad ones too. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I used to have a lot of friends over there. Uh, I feel like if you want to go like to like some cool clubs where it's like remember Blade Two, <laughs> <laughs> right? Just like some weird industrial like underground stuff. I don't know. That's kind of what I think Berlin is like. Um, you think it's like Blade? Blade 2. <laughs> like the, the party scene in Blade 2. That's what Berlin is, right? Do you know what you're like, talking right? about? Was it a Blade 1 where there was like a, a, a blood um, uh, um, rave? Yeah, maybe that was Blade 1. Yeah, yeah, it was Blade 1. We're talking about Wesley Snipes' Blade. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which a, one had the, the epic like cool, like industrial yeah, party? Yeah, yeah. Like, that was, yeah. Yeah, that was yeah. part 1. Oh, that was Blade One. Okay, yeah. well, that is still uh, Blade movie. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's basically <laughs> what I think of when I think of Berlin. Um, Blood party. Yeah, yeah, it's just like this epic, like underground industrial rave all the time. It'll be rad. I can't believe that was in your mind. That movie's at least twenty years old. That's like one of my favorite movies or movie trilogies. I know it's coming back. They're, wait, wait, uh, they're making a Blade Four? No, well, like they're, I don't know, what do you call it? rebooting the franchise? What's Herb? Um, I forget the name of the actor. I don't, I don't know. I don't know who's playing anything. I don't know anything about that. No. Um, I I can't think of any. I can only think of. That's kind of the only vampire movie I like. Oh, it's that dude that was in Anita Battle yes, Angels. Yes. Yeah, yeah, was that good? Name. No. That was a great movie. No, what? That movie was horrible. Uh, no, I haven't seen it, but I read I was it. on a flight, and that was. I read. Well, you were watching it on a tiny screen. Ooh. Nah, that movie was I actually great. read that comic when I was like fourteen. I'm I sure the comic's great. Yeah, it was like really interesting. Um. All right, 
plugs. I gotta go and use the bathroom. <laughs> okay, what are we plugging? Um, all right, Wednesday night, I might be at Democracy Brewing to watch the Democratic debate. I kind of promised the uh, owner of Democracy Brewing that I would plug it and highlight it. So I might swing by there to get some drinks. <clears throat> Thursday night, uh, Dorchester, not for sale, uh, an incredible housing community group, which I'm a part of. We're having a monthly dinner. So uh, just check on Facebook, just type in Dorchester, not for sale. I will be there. Come say hi. But this Saturday is the big event. There is That's a right. march for Bernie. You have more of the info in your head. Bernie. Uh, <laughs> we're all in for Bernie. Um, this is a march. I believe it starts at the common. Let's see. Let's check my picture I took to make sure I remembered this. Um, this is, uh, let's see. Rally and March for Bernie, Saturday, February 22, 1 p.m., front steps of the State House, where okay. it always begins. 1 p.m., State House, Saturday, be there. You can go to tinyurl.com slash Boston for the number Bernie. Awesome, awesome. So, um, we'll right. be there. Those, um, are, those are my three. My, my plugs this week, uh, besides the Bernie stuff, um, there's no call to arts. What are we doing this week, Herb? This week. Is there an open mic? <coughs> oh, of course. It's an open mic over at PA's Lounge every Tuesday. Every Tuesday night, we got an open mic. Bring your guitar, there's, or there's a guitar there for you. <laughs> there's also a free stage. Hell yeah. I got a couple plugs. Plug it away. All right, well, for all you Bernie fans over at Deep Thoughts on February 22nd, they're going to have a canvas and phone bank there, so uh, go... Support your local socialists, I guess. JP. JP. <laughs> also, I was going to just do this one again on February 29th over at the jungle. 8 bit, I mean, Boston 8 bit's going to be there. It's going to be one hell of a show. Please check that out. It's going to be really cool. Hell yeah. That's the, the 29th? That is the 29th. Sunday night. Yeah, I'm actually trying to go to that because I really want to go see Danny Play. Support yeah, Tryhard. Uh, you missed Danny on my birthday, so if you want to go see the full lineup, definitely got to go to that. I might throw that on my calendar. I'll be there too. And then one last one, guys. March 11th, we're gonna have a call to arms. Now this isn't a party, call but call to arts. Arts. I keep. I keep. I keep <laughs> I that up. Call to arts. Super important. Super important. You want to come over here and talk uh, guild. You want to come over here and talk uh, uh, opportunities. You want to come here and just defend the arts. Come over, meet some people. Support your local artist community. That's we have one. we are a community of refugees here at New Alliance, um, and we've been putting on some amazing events and trying to form an amazing network, a guild, if you will, of local artists to keep fighting against uh, developers from taking over our spaces time and time again. Um, I am currently rocking, if in case people didn't hear at the beginning of the show, an original Dave Tree. Bernie 2020 Woo! piece uh, that I got at our latest fashion show that we had with a lot of great local um, screen printers, designers, artists, fashion people, as well as local DJs. Like we do a lot of really fun stuff and meaningful stuff here and we need your support and we need you to be part of our community. We need you to come hang out. And we need you to come <laughs> hang out. We got a great space. You got to come check it out. You'll be blown away. You know, we can drink some beers. It'll be great. Play some music. Um, what else we got going on? That's it. That's really about it. Uh, the rest of my, yeah, everything else is, uh, coming up too late. So, <laughs> but 
All right, I'm running to the bathroom. All right, Boston, we are. We're we done. Go. We're done. All right, have a good night, everyone. Have a good night. Thanks for tuning in. Check us out. Like, subscribe. See on you our next podcast. Monday. Stop. Hey, George, one two one five. Okay, join DSA. He's done. What I'm saying is donate to our Patreon, patreon.com slash RentersRadio. Like, subscribe to all our social media accounts. We are at RentersRadio everywhere. And uh, tune in on all our podcasts, Ranchers Radio. We're on all the things. We're everywhere. Like, subscribe, five stars. Five stars. Give us a review. Call in next show. Hit me up on (laughs) Facebook. I will probably have you on because it will be fun. And we're done. (laughs) Deuces.